For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Habsense Minded. We are live from the press room in Katena Arena outside Engelholm and we're going to actually watch the regular Örebro in a few minutes. And I'm here with the resident Swede for once, Anton Rasegård. Thank you for joining me in your native Sweden. Oh, thank you, Patrick. It's uh, nice to finally meet some uh, some of the Habsites on the Price crowd. It's the first time I, I do that. So. And it's your first time being a reporter on the on, on, on the ice as well. Exactly, it's uh, a bit nerve-wracking, but I'm sure it's going to be all right. Yeah, um, we, we'll just focus directly on the draft. We're like 30 minutes away from from uh, puck drop here, and we really want to experience a, a full night. And I can recommend a, a visit to Engelholm for for the hockey reasons and the crowd reasons because they are local patriots here, and and uh, there will be some very nice cheering going on. It's a historic draft coming up after the trade deadline that we experienced yesterday. Uh, Montreal has, what is it? It's 14 draft picks in the upcoming draft. That's the most since 1991. And it's tied with 1994 with 14. 1991 we had 15, but there were more rounds at that time. This time we're plus seven. We have more or less two picks in each round. Uh, Obviously not in the first round, but this is a great chance to, to, to foment the team for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, if there was any doubt whether Habs were going for a, a late playoff search or if they were going for the draft, we got the answer last night, right? Um, or last afternoon for you Canadians, uh, when Montreal sold off um, no less than four players during the last 24 hours. And uh, these 14 picks makes it possible for Mark Bergman no matter whether you think he did the right thing or the wrong thing, it makes it possible to maneuver the draft and, and really move up or down uh, with what you see fit during those two days in Montreal in June. For many fans, it was an underwhelming return. We we have spoken about it a little bit before and we mentioned it to some of the other reporters in here today. Um, many would have loved to see Tatar or, or Petri being traded for even more picks and especially a first-round pick to, to maximize the chance of Lafreniere. But, but do you, did you really think that would happen? I hoped it would happen. I absolutely did. But now, when we're here on the other side, I mean, you always want some hope for the future, don't, don't you? Um, but in the end, when we stand here, we still have um, our roster intact, and, and we have a, a 
good roster um, where everyone is um, contract bound for next year. So if you still feel like you want to sell off some of these assets, uh, read Tatar or um, or Petri, you can still do that in the summer, uh, in the fall, or, or at the next trade deadline, right? Especially if, if the, the next year is as terrible as this year has been, or, or you feel like uh, injuries has come to terms and... and uh, destroyed the chances once more, um, but it, it really started with the selling of Kowalczyk uh, to Washington. It was very interesting to hear both Kowalczyk and Bergevin speak about it. Um, they both mentioned that Kowalczyk got his choice and it opened up or, or keeps very good relationships that he has had with Mark Bergevin and the team and the fans, obviously, uh, for a possible um, chance for a re-signing in, in July. Yeah, that was really what uh, it looks like Bergman wanted out of this trade because um, it sounded like Kovalchuk wasn't that interested in signing, re-signing already. He wanted a run at the cup um, and to remain uh, on amicable terms, uh, Bergman let him choose his team. And um, Kovalchuk um, came back with um, two, two reporters after the trade and, and said that he was very grateful for his time in Montreal. He was very grateful for the fans and the way that Mark Bergman and the management team and also the owner Jeff Molson has treated him during these months. And he also said that his, uh, his sons loved it in Montreal and that they wanted to stay in Montreal while they could send back his wife and, and daughters to LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, LA is quite a nice. We, we have to, especially winter time for for. But as a Russian, I, I would assume you're, you're used to the cold climate. Yeah. Um, in the end, uh, Kovalchuk got, uh, generated a third round pick for Montreal. Uh, Montreal retained some of the salary, but he got to choose where he went. It points to the fact that there might have been a better offer somewhere, but Mark Bergeron chose to to leave as you say, on amicable terms with Kovalchuk and give him the chance to come back and, and give Montreal the best chance of re-signing him. Um, another player that left Montreal and, and spoke very highly of Montreal as an organization was, was Nate Thompson. Uh, he went to Philadelphia for a fifth rounder uh, and he came out uh, together with Kovalchuk more or less because the trade was finalized at that time. Uh, and said more or less the same things, that he would love to come back to Montreal. It was a great experience. And this is PR that you really can't buy, especially when a lot of talk has always been about it's tough to play in Montreal, media is terrible, uh, taxes are heavy, etc., etc. But, but this is PR you can't really buy. Yeah, and especially since if, if we look at what Mark Bergevin has done during these last two years, it has been trying to create a better locker room culture, a better management culture, um, a place where people, where players want to play. And it seems like that is something that he has done. It's difficult for us to, who as fans who follow the team on a regular basis to, to maybe see it. But if you look at the locker room and what is coming out of there um, in terms of... Uh, what players are saying about their teammates and about the overall culture, it's all positive, really. And that is not something that we got a few years ago, um, even if we had better players then with Pacioretty and Siban. Um, so maybe actually management is doing something right. We'll see in the summer, of course. Uh, this was about the Nate Thompson trade, and I think that Philadelphia Flyers got a good face-off specialist for a fifth rounder. Good asset management by both teams. I don't really see a loser in that trade. 
it's interesting that you mentioned loser or winners. It was an obvious win uh, for Mark Bergevin when he traded Scandrella uh, to St. Louis. He turned a fourth round pick into a second round and a conditional fourth round thanks to the Bowmeister injury in, in some ways. And, and what, what, what it was a seller's market at the time and he took the opportunity to do that. Uh, Buffalo fans are obviously hating their own management, but, but we can only applaud this trade from, from a Montreal perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a guy who, who came in as a bottom pair D-man uh, for, for a fourth round pick, and, and Montreal didn't really have that high hopes. I mean, he was, was going to be a UFA no matter what after the season. Um, and to manage to squeeze out, even if it's a late second round pick, it's still a second round pick. Um, and if he resigns or if he plays 50% during the during two playoff rounds where St. Louis manages to squeeze through, um, basically Mark Bergman will have turned um, thin air into a second round uh, for free. That, that's an amazing thing. And, and even if I'm not supporting all the moves that Mark Bergman did, this was a clear win. And I know you just checked on your way here that uh, Montreal was, was voted the best seller on the score earlier yeah. today yeah. and uh, I mean that, that was Mark Bergman did the right thing we saw some other clubs who did questionable things and we're going to come back to that later um, there was also some minor league trades going on uh, some of the bad or, or locker room discrepancies in, in Laval players that hadn't bought into Bouchard's um, system and coaching were shipped off and uh, it, it generated at least uh, some sort of action on both levels in the organization. Yeah, and as Mark Bergman said at his press conference, um, they weren't going to resign Matthew Peck in the summer, right? Um, so now they got um, an ECHL player in Aaron Lutschuk uh, back, um, who hasn't really got a chance in Belleville this season um, because of Belleville's heavy depth. Um, and now we can play in Laval, at least for the rest of the season, and then they got a seventh rounder back. And as Bergevin said, they get another crack at the draft. Even if it's a low round pick, it's still an asset compared to a Pekka who would have left for free in the summer. And I think uh, we have seen what you can do with, with draft picks late round. We saw it, and it might not turn out very well, but the sixth round of the last year that turned into Arsene Shizamutinov someone that the, the Russian scout really pushed for. He's had an up and down season in, in KHL and, and in VHL um, where he has scored at will more or less in VHL but in KHL he has uh, played next to no minutes and, and you have to wonder if this is because everyone knows that he's leaving for Laval next year or not but it also signing an overage player or, or drafting an overage player very late in the rounds protects him uh, from other teams poaching him in front of you and creating, like, offering more bonus money or anything, but your scouts is high on this guy, you grab him with a late-round pick, it's more or less a 10% chance of, of late-round picks turning into NHLers, but it's still 1 in 10. So yeah. the more picks you have, the more chances you're going to generate to succeed. Exactly. And uh, as an avid NFL, um, NFL fan as well, I listen a lot to, um, to Pro Football Focus and their analytics podcast, and they come, come up with this all the time, they repeat this all the time, that the more chances you have in a draft, the more picks you have, the bigger chance, of course, that you will turn, turn, player, turn assets into 
into players and who can actually play for you because naturally as they say there no one is good at drafting i mean it's a small percentage chance that later round picks do end up playing especially in nhl where you draft uh players who are as young as 18. in the nfl at least they are grown men they're 21 22. so the more chances you have if we say that it's about 50 50 chance that you get an asset that you can actually use in the nhl or the ahl if you have 14 picks you may end up with six or seven guys who can play for you compared to having seven picks and maybe ending up with three or four guys so it's just really improving the odds and, and the more picks you have and the more things you can generate, the more prospects you might turn into picks in a later round just because you are looking into, to, to, because you have too many of them in your own system at, at one point or another. And at the end, very late last night here in Sweden, and afternoon for, for you guys in Montreal, uh, Nick Cousins went to Vegas for a, a fourth round pick in the 2021 draft. Yeah. And... Uh, we were talking about that before that we don't know if vegas actually has any picks left in the 2020 draft and if that was the reason that it actually took took a while because maybe mark bridgman wanted a, a pick in the 2020 draft but had to take vegas offer because uh, it was the best on the on the table with 14 draft picks in the 2020 draft being hosted in montreal a french canadian player going first overall Seriously, Anton, you're not the GM of, of Montreal Canadiens, but what would, would you trade all the draft picks in order to get the first round, the first overall? You mean doing the Ricky Williams package? Indeed, I would. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that would be. I think that would be crazy asset management because obviously one guy can, the right guy can improve you so and so much, but it's still an 18-year-old guy, and there's still a, a chance that he will hurt his knee the first week in training and you will be left with nothing um having a few picks left at least improves the chance that you will get a few assets out of the draft and um being in a rebuild you can't really just throw in all your chips on one single guy but with that said it kind of looks like mark bergevin is stacking up um to do something during the draft right and whether that is trading up or whether that is uh, trading away lower round picks to get some already signed prospects, we don't know. But of course, it would be amazing if Montreal ended up with a high lottery pick that you could, without getting rid of all the 14 picks, turn into Alexis Lafreniere. Would you ask... Let's say it's 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 Detroit Red Wings who has the best chance of acquiring the first overall. Would you take that kind of a trade? It's difficult to say, really, because obviously Lafreniere seems like a player who can be, um, well, what can you say? Like changing for a, a change for your entire roster, a franchise player like Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews. Uh, it's difficult to say what kind of offer you would have to get. If a team like Ottawa wouldn't win the draft lottery, they have three picks in the first round. Would you ask a Detroit GM, a Steve Eiserman, would you accept three first round picks for Alexis Lafreniere and maybe maybe just move down to second or third place and still get three really good players in a top heavy draft? I don't know, but I don't think Montreal, with the roster they have today and the picks with only one first round pick, 
I don't know that they would be able to offer something else but just the sheer lot of picks. It came out uh, during the, the, the trade deadline last night that um, Jeff Petrie uh, and his, or at least his agent, might have started to talk a little bit about an extension with Montreal Canadiens, uh, and that might have meant that they kept him on off the board or off the trade board at least. Um, was it the right move to keep Jeff Petrie? It's difficult to say as well, because obviously Jeff Petrie is getting up there in age, but he is the most consistent blue liner Montreal has. Uh, he is not injury prone, uh, he produces on an, on an everyday basis, and he's a really good locker room player, what we, can, what we know. Um, he's one of the leaders of this team, and since he has one year, more year left on his contract, you really have no reason to move him unless you get a really good package back. And that is something that I actually, even if I would have liked to see a big move being made uh, on deadline day, I prefer this thing of, of actually postponing any eventual big moves until you get the right package, as we saw with Pacioretty, not just moving for the sake of moving, not just uh, being spontaneous and impulsive in your trade, uh, in your trading and in your asset management, but actually waiting for that right package to come back. Because Jeff Petrie is one of um, a few blue liners who can actually uh, play heavy minutes uh, on well 80 games a season and you don't get that asset back very easily from another team even if you get a first round pick and a prospect we have no idea how they will turn out right? what you're selling in that case is hope and really that is what many fans want right now um, so, so you wouldn't call Mark Bergevin a gun shy you, we, we have seen one-to-one -one trades, yeah. and, and uh, we've seen successful. We have to say that the, the Subban trade is, is looking actually very good in retrospect. Uh, we've seen some other trades, one-for-one. One. Uh, but, but really, when he, he swung for it, was the Max Pacioretty uh, trade, and he, he got more than he bargained for in that trade. Let's be honest with that. Uh, Suzuki, Tatar, and a pick that turned into Illinois, if I remember correctly. Norlin. Norlander, yeah. And, and I think... You know, Norlander looks promising, he's been injured, but, but that is the only time where we've really seen a good package coming back. And he was forced to make that trade, because yeah. he had said that Pacioretty wouldn't resign. So he was forced to make that trade. And yeah, he is a bit gun-shy. But at the same time, Montreal is in a resetting, rebuilding phase, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do you think? I, I don't think it would be the right thing to do to... To move uh, heavily at this time, if you didn't get the right package back, um, I think it's if if you're in a situation where you are headed to the playoffs, then it's a different different thing to 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 talk about. Um, it's easy to talk about Mark Bergman being gun shy now because he's been there for eight years. Um, but if we only look at the last two seasons, he has made a lot of good moves once he convinced himself and and uh, the rest of the management team that this team needed to to change a few things up and, and focus more on speed and, and, and roster building. On Twitter there was obviously a lot of conversations about Montreal players. Satar was one, Lekanen was another, uh, um, 
price? Uh, yeah, price was one as well, but but Danone was was yeah, uh, the fourth one that, that was thrown out there along with Petrie. Um, I think that Mark Bergevin did the right thing. I, I think you know, like unless you're getting, as you say, Anton, a, a pick or, or or a package that is the full deal and that you can really really build from, you're not going to trade any of those pieces just for a washout. Maybe it was a seller's market yesterday. And Mark Bergman probably didn't get the prices he was asking for those for, for some of those players, and in in some cases he probably just put the hang the phone up when when the questions were asked. Yeah, basically now he got rid of five players um, who were gonna be uh, free agents after the season and released what you can call it wouldn't be dead weight, but but they we don't know if they were gonna resign no matter what, and you got five draft picks back um, with the other players who are, have cont contract for the next year you saw what a player like Jean-Gabriel Pajot could bring back in return as a rental there is nothing saying if Montreal has the same kind of season next year as they do this year that you can't move someone like Jeff Petrie or Tamas Tatar at the next trade deadline for a heavy package then when you're forced to do it Looking back at the trade deadline, uh, there were small these winners, obvious losers. Uh, we're going to go back to Montreal just before we finish this podcast off. But who would you rate as winners, uh, the big winners in, in, in this um, deadline day? I would say Edmonton, uh, surprisingly. Um, it, it's noticeable that Peter Chiarelli has left the building. Um, and it's also obvious that they have a former Red Wings uh, G GM now in Ken Holland because obviously he, he traded for both Andreas Athanasio and Mike Green, former Red Wings players. Uh, but getting Athanasio back, uh, a speedy player who can play on uh, McDavid's wing, even if he's had a bad season, uh, he's just one year removed of a 30-goal season and, and he's an RFA after the season, so giving up two second-rounders for him. A good management there, and Mike Green. He he may getting up there, maybe getting up there in age, but he's still a serviceable offensive defenseman who, who they can use for the remainder of the season. Is um, Athanasio the, the the winger that that uh, McDavid needs or have has wanted? Uh, he's better than what they currently had, at least. Um, getting another speedster uh, who can just uh, challenge the, the opposing defense is, is positive for Oilers if they are going to challenge in, uh, in the, uh, in, and make, do a cup run this year, of course. And they also got Tyler Ennis back for a fifth round pick, which I think is maybe the best deal of them all, because Tyler Ennis may not be a great player, but he's a serviceable uh, bottom six forward who can score um, and uh, if it's anything that the Oilers are missing it's players who can score except for uh, the two big guns in Bryce Heidel and McDavid. I see Boston as very successful this this, this craft, uh, deadline day. They did next no moves but they and, and the moves they made were very smart, uh, resourceful, uh, clear-headed. Uh, did you like the Kasi move? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's it's a very smart move. Uh, he brings um, he's a type of player that fits into the Boston mold, and he will generate more offense, I think, in, in Boston. 
company has before, but it's also a depth player that they can bring in when they need to, wherever they need to plug that hole on that team. Um, you have a couple of, you have two other teams that you are looking for that, that you see as, as winners. Yeah, uh, Ottawa Senators got a haul back for JG Pajot, uh, a first rounder, a second rounder, and a conditional third. Um, we also saw that uh, New York Islanders re-signed Pajot just uh, hours afterwards to a five-year deal, right? Um, and getting that money back for a player who you can see as a middle six forward um, and a rental uh, at the time is, is great for Ottawa. They now stand with three first rounders in the upcoming draft. They also got a fourth rounder back just yesterday for Vladimir Nemestikov, um, who was also on an expiring contract. So the problem with Ottawa, uh, as me and Patrick discussed before, is uh, that they seem to be in a constant state of rebuild. Uh, so yeah, it's, 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 it's almost like they have uh, this set mindset that uh, one in every seven years we're going to do a deep cup run, be it with Eric Carlson, be it with, with the next guy, being with the guy after that, and it all comes down to, to the owner Melchnik, that and, and his interest in the team, and seriously, I don't know what kind of interest he has. Um, we also brought up New York Rangers, and we are a bit divided about New York Rangers. Uh, the skate train that Shona broke, uh, Shona who works for, for Blue Shirt Bander and also for The Athletic. But looking at New York Rangers deadline day, uh, there's one small thing that, that or small, it's a 70-year it's a thing, <laughs> that, that puts them back a little bit because of the Kreider deal. But overall, I think they are winners at this deadline. Yeah, uh, it's difficult to it's difficult to comment on the Kreider uh, extension right now because obviously I think both Jeff Gorton and uh, and the Rangers organization would have preferred a few years less, but now they got him at a cheap price instead. So seven years may be a little bit on the high end, but they must have felt during the last day that they couldn't get an adequate return for uh, for a player of uh, of Kreider's um, talent and they chose to resign him instead. And also the, the as I mentioned the, the trade that um, Shona broke that um, it, it, it really gives anything negative with the uh, with the Kreider contract gives uh, an opening to, to New York Rangers and, and let's remember that first round draft pick is not protected and Carolina might not actually make the playoffs. Exactly. And what we also have to remember is that, yeah, they signed Kreider to a six and a half year uh, average annual value in extension, but they freed up 5.25 million now for the upcoming years by just removing Brady Skay. And they got a first round pick in return, which is great value for and great uh, great um, asset management for Jeff Gordon. Unfortunately for New York Rangers there was the coal um, Sherestin was in a car accident and uh, he's out for a few weeks with a broken rib. Which means r the return of the king is, yeah. uh, is coming. Ah well we have to see that but that's probably why they had to hold on to Henrik Lundqvist even if there were rumors about his, him being traded. Um, but looking at lot losers in this um, at this deadline, Keynes, as we mentioned right now with with a with a with a skate trade, they are losers. Yeah, it's uh, it all looked so well until the last moment because they got Vincent Trocek uh, on the cheap, 
uh, Trocek is signed for uh, several more years at 4.75, which is great value for a guy who can play middle six center. Um, and uh, they didn't have to get rid of anything substantial in return. And then they added Sami Vatanen for basically a bag of pucks. Uh, but then they chose to basically... You could say that they replaced Justin Falk, who they traded away at the beginning of the season with Brady Skay, who has really only had one great season his rookie year, um, for uh, quite an expensive contract considering what he offers in return. Um, and getting rid of your first-round pick, as you say, it could be a lottery pick. And I don't know. The Canes are this year's Columbus, basically. They chose to go all-in this year. Uh, we'll see if it... Um, if they manage to squeeze into the playoffs in the end. The problem is for, for me looking at the Canes, okay, if they squeeze into the playoffs, it's fine, but they have to go through both Boston and uh, Tampa Bay in order to, to get to that Stanley Cup final. Now, I can't really see any team out of the East to go through either team. Uh, we also have Blackhawks. We're not going to dive into them as much as, as maybe we did with the Canes or, or any others, but... Um, Blackhawks was 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 kind of a loser in this regard, but also looking at this and and the final question for you today, Anton, how do you grade Montreal's uh, deadline? Uh, I'm I stand between a B minus and a C plus. I think it was uh, I think it was average, uh, borderline good. Um, I think that even if you maybe would have liked to see more action and more proactivity, uh, considering what. Um, that Bergevin said that he wasn't going to trade any substantial assets if he didn't get amazed with the return. He still managed to squeeze out five draft picks for five rentals. And in the end, as a selling club, that is more than you can really expect for a losing team this season, as Montreal has been. What would have... What would Bergevin had have to do in order to get a better grade from you? squeeze out an even higher uh, return for uh, for uh, one of the players. I mean, the Kovalchuk trade was lower than expected just because he wanted to keep a good uh, relationship with Kovalchuk and his agent, and that's great. Uh, the same is probably true for, uh, for both uh, Nick Cousins and Nate Thompson, where it was basically that you wanted uh, to remain on good terms and just uh, trading them so that they could get a chance to uh, to go on a cup run before you could get nothing for them. Uh, but to manage to get more out of a Kovalchuk trade in, in assets or, or to get a substantial haul for one of the players who have one year left on their contract would, would have pushed this to a, to a great deadline day. All right, and that's it for Habs and Minded today. We're uh, live actually from from uh, Katena Arena in Engelholm. Uh, thank you, Anton, for being the expert today. And uh, don't forget to, to listen to us or, and, and subscribe on your different platforms. Leave a comment. Uh, we actually do read comments even on if, if they're on Google Talk or, or uh, Apple and, and podcasts and whatnot. Uh, we are interested to hear from you what you think about the pod, what we can do better and, and everything else. Thank you very much. This is Patrick Bexel and Anton Rasegård uh, from Sweden.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.